Welcome to ADHD Essentials with Brendan Mahan. What's up, team? As of May 4th, the ADHD Essentials podcast is no longer associated with the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. This podcast will continue, but neither this show nor any other aspects of me or my work will be connected with ADHD Rewired. This is not a decision I made lightly, nor is it based in any ill will. It's just time for me to move on and explore new professional opportunities in the ADHD and neurodiversity space. I will, of course, be sharing those new opportunities with you in the coming episodes. Also, I'm currently scheduling free informational calls for the summer 2023 session of the ADHD Essentials Parenting Groups. This latest round of the parenting groups will begin on Monday, June 26th and run for eight weeks until Wednesday, August 17th. We meet over Zoom twice a week for an hour, on Mondays and on Wednesdays. One section meets at 12 p.m. Eastern, and the other will meet at 5 p.m. Eastern. The cost for the groups is $976, which can be paid in one sum or over the course of four installments of $244. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Shona Jamison. Shona is a fitness professional with ADHD and the author of Why You Skipped Your Workout. Shona talks to us about her book and exercise in general. She discusses the mind-body connection and how exercising can help our brains, the nature of making changes in our lives, the power of self-talk, and the emotional side of ADHD and exercise. All right, let's get rolling. I'm Shona, a woman with ADHD diagnosed 29, and I'm also a fitness professional who for years struggled with consistency and it took my ADHD diagnosis and getting that under control for me to start moving. Along the way, I had to find so many ways to make movement fit into my life, to make myself flow towards not being stuck, not moving. And that is what I wrote a book about. So I have skipped so many workouts. I literally wrote the book on it. I want to help other people with ADHD move more because it's so good for us. So good. But it's so hard sometimes. Yeah. I was at the gym yesterday and I, I was having a frustrated day. There was high stress for me. And I hopped on the elliptical and 10 minutes in, I was like, oh, I'm doing better now. Like I can feel my whole emotion, emotional set change. So I'm, I'm with you on movement. My current strategy for not missing my workout is I'm teaching my kids how to lift weights. So they're my accountability. Children are excellent accountability because you want to do well in front of them too. Right. Right. Like, and they're, I want to make you proud. <laughs> yeah. They're 14. They're old enough to start doing it. We've only gone twice. Like we literally started last week on Wednesday and then went again on Sunday, but it, it's got me going. I'm sure it'll continue me going. So I want to play with the book before, before I start asking you about content, I need to put the book over. This is something I try to do with all the books that I feature on the show. And that is if they're formatting is particularly ADHD friendly, which is most of them that I have on here. I try to call that out and and sing the praises. So I'm going to do that with your book right now because it's phenomenal. Goes beyond a lot of the books that I've even highlighted in the past. I read your book and was like, this is exactly the plan for the Wall of Awful book. It has been in my head for years. This is how I want to build it and structure it and format it. And then you come along and you're like, oh, I formatted my book the exact way that you would have, Brendan, which is great. It means headings. It means subheadings. 
It means bite-sized doses of information that are easy to process, easy to apply, that interweave together to form a larger narrative that all improves my knowledge base. But I can flip this book open to a random page and pull something out that's going to be helpful. I can go through the chapters and find the general area that I want to be based on chapter headings and all that stuff and find the answer that I want. And it's not imposing when I open the book. It's not like I'm looking at a wall of text that I don't know what to do with because I can't get into it. It's a couple of paragraphs and then another subheading. Or where I'm looking right now, it's a subheading, a paragraph, a subheading, a paragraph, a subheading, a paragraph, a heading, which is even better. There's exercises. There's stuff that's walled off and boxed off for actions or particularly useful insights or stories. It's great. The final thing that I want to compliment you on that I'm I'm stealing for the wall of awful book that I'm in the midst of writing, because I didn't think of this one, but you did, and I'm happy to steal it from you, is your summaries at the end of your chapters have the page numbers for where that concept comes from. I don't know how it is that I'm 45 years old and I've never seen that before as an avid reader of nonfiction, but I haven't seen that before. So someone's going like, that means Brennan didn't read this book because it's there, but I've never seen it before. (laughs) And I just, I wanted to compliment you on that because it's such an awesome, to my mind, innovation. I would love to say that it was well thought out, but I had to be able to write it. And that was how I had to write it. I had to be able to follow it through and proofread it and all of those things. So I'd love to say there was some kind of higher design. This is the way it came out of my brain. And with the page numbers, the whole book is about helping people take action. I'm not going to take action if I can't find the thing. Right, right. (laughs) So there's the thing. So the book, um, you said about the exercises, I call them the actions because it's a book about exercise. There's only so many exercises you can write about. But the actions, there is such an important part of it because I want to help people take steps and see themselves moving forward, whether mentally, emotionally or physically. And that is part of it, is making it as easy as possible to take a step forward. I mean, when I looked at it, when I started skimming it, I was like, God, this does not look like a grown-up wrote it. And it's not those walls of text that you think of seeing with books. But actually, that's, again, what it needs to be. And it's not, I didn't go light and fluffy either. Like, I went into some beefy concepts. Oh, yeah. You talk about the Dunning-Kruger effect, the sunk cost fallacy. There's really great concepts in here. By no means is this like a child book or a or a light content book. There's phenomenal, deep, complex, important ideas in here, but you can get to them. That was my absolute priority because exercise is hard enough and the book is very deliberate in how it's laid out. So while the formatting is is just how it happened, the the order that I ask people to come through the concepts with me is, is very deliberate because with exercise, with movement, I mean, there's so much room for shame and guilt and shoulds and expectations and just heaviness that we actually need to clear some of that out before we start working out what we actually want. So we start off by looking at what we expect from exercise and from ourselves. And we clear that out before we start looking at anything else. Because often if I ask someone, well, what do you want to do? They'll give me someone else's answer. They'll give me what they think is right. And I don't want to know what's right. I want to know what's yours. Because that is what's going to help people move. And I got this wrong for myself. I did one of the exercises in this book and I found out I was working towards the wrong thing. I hadn't been listening to myself. 
you know when your parents tell you something and it turns out they're right and it's really infuriating it is even worse when you do that to yourself um, <laughs> <laughs> but I went through and so um, pole dancing is my main sport it's most of my work comes through coaching pole dancers um, which is full of novelty variety excitement it's great for ADHD brains but I thought big pole tricks was what I really wanted. And then I did this exercise and I was like, oh, it's not. That's the cherry on top of everything else. And as soon as I changed my focus, it was easier to move. So, you know, we can make these assumptions about what we think we want based on how we interact with exercise, how we see exercise kind of shown for like on Instagram, like, oh, do this workout. It's only 10 minutes. Yeah, only 10 minutes is just as hard to start sometimes as 60 minutes. That is not always the fix that people think it is. So we need to look at everything around it and dig away. The actions that you do as you go through the book help you dig into the bits that you need to. If it wasn't the big stunts and tricks in the pole dancing, what was it? I wanted to feel good. Okay. Like basics, kind of? Basics. Feeling good. Feeling like, so um, not having tight shoulders from sitting at a desk, wanting to go hiking. The stuff that kind of makes you feel alive and good in your skin. Like your body is your interface with everything else. So if your body doesn't feel good, then everything else doesn't feel good either. Just feeling at home in your skin and feeling connected to your body for me is so grounding. Not everyone has that. A lot of people do. I know some people who are like, no, I don't need to know my body exists. And if you're in that place, that's actually okay. Like you can do things that are distracting enough. You don't need to know your body exists while you move. The ADHD lesson hiding in that that is probably useful for people to hear is oftentimes we ADHD folks want to do the big exciting thing because it's full of dopamine, but it's a one shot burst of dopamine and it's not the continuous access to dopamine that we need, which is what the basics provide us. Totally. I think when there is so much shame and guilt and all that kind of stuff, it's really tempting to go for the big stuff because that's going to feel like that's going to fill that cup up quicker than going for a hike that you don't put any photos anywhere like you know it's hard when everything is so visual in the world when there's when it's so easy to end up doom scrolling and you know fitness hashtags on social media are oh horrendous um <laughs> like when you end up in that poll you see this tapas of elite performers and then you look and you're like well I can't do any of this so I'm going to try and do this one really cool thing but actually all of these people will feel the same because they can't do any of the stuff that they're looking at. They're not looking at their own Instagram feed. And we all need that. I don't even want to say consistency. We all need that regular movement, however it fits into our life. We all need movement that sustains us and that is sustainable for us to give us that dopamine, to give us that just distraction from the other stuff as well. Like exercise can be a great escape. It can be a great you know, tonic when our brains are really busy. Especially if you do things, so I know this isn't basics, but I do a lot of like balance training, handstands, hand balances, leg balances. You cannot be distracted when you might drop yourself on your face. I was teaching my kids how to do a deadlift yesterday. And I was like, you have to be paying attention to me right now. Because what will happen is one of them, I'll do the movement. And then I'll like, one of them is going to do the movement, right? Mm -hmm. And I do it. I talk to them. I'm walking them through it. They're showing them how it looks telling them what I'm doing. In this case, I broke out a YouTube video. It's the only movement we did that involved the YouTube video. And I was like, this is because this is a complicated lift. We need to be careful. There's, you can get hurt doing this. We're going to go light. We want to get the form right first. And so 
every time, and this happened with all of them, but the deadlift one was the most obvious, was I would be doing it and then I'd give it to the next kid or my or my first son rather. And my second son, whichever one was going second, is like wandering around and not tuned in. And I'm like, this like this is not a curl. Like you've got to look and pay attention to what your brother is doing. Cause when I correct him on stuff, you're going to need to know what I corrected him on. Cause you might do the same thing. It's the same. One of my sons, I won't name names. One of my sons kept raising his hips and I'm like, bud, your, your hips have to be below your shoulders on this. You're not lifting with your back. You're lifting with your legs. And then he would do it. I would think he was going to be good. And then his hips would go up and then he'd pick it up. And I'm like, one more time, bud. Just moving your body is so, it takes so much. So deadlifts are obviously a big compound lift that you normally see in the gym. Now, I do want to make very clear that this is not a book about exercise. It is about everything that makes exercise possible. So while I we can go into the nerdy bits about deadlifting technique, all that kind of stuff, because I love the technical, like physical side of exercise too. But if you're not in a place where deadlifts are right for you, there are other things you can do. There's lots of places you can have play. But if you're going to go down the deadlifts route, Deadlifts are fantastic at helping you be tired because they use your whole central nervous system. Mm-hmm. So if I am going to do heavy deadlifts, I come. I don't schedule anything after that because I'm just goosed. <laughs> I'm good for nothing. So if you're feeling like you can't settle, actually deadlifts can, if you deploy a deadlift on a day where you might be a bit amped up, you can take some of the buzz off, you know, working with a coach, getting your form right. But if you find movement that works for you, you can start to deploy it in ways that are going to help you feel a certain way. So I know that if I do deadlifts, I'm going to be tired. If yeah. I go for a walk, I'm going to feel like lightened up. If I'm stressed and anxious, I'm going to do balances because balancing takes so much concentration. There's so many links between balance and using our, our brain for physical pursuits and helping with regulating ADHD symptoms. So however it is you choose to move, your brain's going to feel benefits from that. So let's start, let's start playing with the book itself. I don't want to like not do that. That's, that's the whole point of this conversation. (laughs) And I don't want to do, I don't, I apologize that I derailed us a little bit. One of the things that I love the most about this book comes early on. And that is that you play with change and how change works. And one of the reasons I love it is that it drives me bananas that self-help books don't immediately talk about change as often as they should. Like this should be early on in every book of that is a self-help book because they're about change. And if we don't look at what change is and how change works and what the resistors to change are, nothing in this book is going to help because we're not addressing the fundamental speed bump that is change. Can we play with that a little bit? Sure, because it's it's a huge thing. And actually, so starting to exercise is a change. Every single week that you exercise, there will be changes. Every time you get sick, kid gets sick, you have to look after another family member, you have to go away for work, there's going to be change. And I think with exercise, we so often hold on to this idea that we're going to find this one workout that's going to be the one, and we're going to just have it forever. But we won't, because we'll need to change it at some point to keep getting benefit from it. Part of that's down to how our bodies respond to exercise. Um, and other questions so again when I say exercise I'm also going to include things like dancing around the kitchen Mm -hmm. that is legit that is an activity in itself that's a whole hobby like whatever movement looks like for you that that count but life doesn't stay the same neither do our bodies neither do our needs neither do our goals when we look at exercise as this like end point that we're going to arrive at we're always going to feel unsatisfied 
because we only ever get kind of one day done at a time or never finished. And that's a concept that Brenda and you outlined really clearly for me. And I've been using that for myself and it's been really helpful. The difference between done and finished, mm-hmm. where done is you're done with the day and finished is you never have to look at it again. We're never finished with exercise. We're never finished with movement. So we never get to that end point. We just need to keep rolling with the changes and enjoying it, actually, because variety is awesome. Exercise is a lot like cleaning that way, where like you're never mm. finished cleaning. You, you can be done cleaning, but you're never finished. It's not about getting to finish. It's about getting to progress. Am I progressing? Am I stronger today than I was yesterday or faster? Or do I have more endurance or more flexibility or better balance? It's it's about progressing. And that's part of why recording your progress matters so much is because you're never going to finish. So you may as well know how far you've come. Yeah. And I realize you focus very much on the physical side of progress. Am I talking nicely to myself about this? Did I move in a way that felt good for me? Am I actually acting in line with what I want instead of what other people want. Um, a lot of people I know have come from really extreme sports. I'm actually listening to a book at the moment where the guy was running Iron um, like Ironman races and things like that and then had to get a hip uh, replacement and isn't able to do them. His whole thing now is that he has to go for a very different sort of satisfaction and he has to go for a very different feel. But that's more aligned with where he is now. If he tried to do an Ironman, he would screw himself over. Like mm-hmm. He would not be in a good way the next day. So he has had to change what winning, what good, what success looks like for him, what done means for him. So while we might want to go for progress and have those metrics that are going to keep ticking up, sometimes that's not the win we need to count. And we get to choose what our wins are, especially if you're in, like if you're doing skill-based movements, if you're doing things where you're pushing your performance, particularly for anyone with a menstrual cycle or who works on other cycles where you do see changes in performance ability, help balance is one (laughs) that that changes throughout the cycle it's normal to have kind of short-term fluctuations but over the longer term we want to see ourselves feeling better about where we're going an adhd element of that is focus if you're exercising whatever that looks like for you in the same way that your adhd ups and downs will affect your ability to reply to emails or interact with your colleagues or whatever, it's going to affect your exercise routines as well. You might have a day where you're trying to do those deadlifts and you're not doing it right. For some reason, you can't lift the amount of weight you usually could. It might have nothing to do with your strength. It might have everything to do with your ADHD focus and how that's affecting your technique and what muscles you're able to employ based on your form. The same is true for if you're in martial arts. One day you're killing it with forms and the next day your form is a mess and you can't figure out why you can't do three pinion. Oh, it's because you're just not focused that day. Your ADHD is a little out of whack. And sometimes the burning irony of that is when you're done doing whatever the exercise thing is, suddenly you have the focus to do a really good job with whatever you're doing. It just didn't apply to the exercise. The exercise brought it about later. Yeah, and your body's now too tired to have another crack at it. Right. So got to wait for tomorrow. So actually a really good example of this. So obviously I've literally just written a book about skipping workouts and trying to find ways to move more. Mm-hmm. And over the last couple of weeks, so launching a book was exhausting and I was just done. So I scaled right back and I didn't do as much. And then I went back to the gym and I was doing some squats. The week before the book launch, I'd been doing heavier weights, more reps. This day I just couldn't get up 
I just couldn't get it up. I just was like, no, nah, it's not, it's not happening today. And it was nothing to do with my body and everything to do with my mind. So negotiation, huge part, that kind of inner, like hyperactive monologue. It's just like, oh no, we don't have to do this. Like that ne- redeciding things that we already know we're going to do. I have days where I get that every single rep. And when I have a day that feels like that, I stop counting. And I'm like, right, let's just go where we go. Let's see what's happening here. On the days where my mind is quieter, I'm going to count my reps. I'm going to be more precise. But actually, we can vary the quality of our workouts. We can vary the content to suit our brain that day. And so for anyone, again, the menstrual cycle, I'm I'm biased on that one. Understandably. (laughs) It relates to me. Um, But anyone with the cycle. So the most recent research I've seen says that physical ability doesn't change, but mental resolve to push through barriers changes. So first half a cycle, more likely to push it. Second half, less likely. On on the like on the grand scheme of things, obviously everybody's going to feel different depending on how their body responds to different hormones, what they're trying to do. Um, usual caveats of everyone is different. Um, but those fluctuations, it's actually completely okay to have them. Like, it's totally okay to need to show up as a different version of yourself some days. It's totally okay to need to vary your workout in advance. Um, I have one client who's either all on it or doesn't want to do it. And we have option A, B, and C. A is the one we want to do. B is the one that we're going to say we're going to do if we need some you know, negotiation room, we need to get ourselves in. And C is go for a bubble bath. Do something else, take the pressure off. And if she decides she's going to go with option C and she does the stuff she needs to do, she'll sometimes come back and be like, oh, I was able to do A later on because I looked after myself. Sometimes she's like, I had a bubble bath and went to bed. But we have these options built in so that she can make a decision about what's right for her. And we've all had the guilt of like, well, I should have just gone. Well, you didn't. And that's okay. The worst thing we can do is never go. And the second worst thing we can do is always go when it's not always good for us. We need to be able to change and adapt, roll with the punches, work with where we are. And that comes to the content of your exercise as much as it does to the things that help you get there. Because we're all skipping steps here. We're talking about when we're already in the room. But that's like, once you've done all the work to get there, that's kind of the easy bit. If you're really struggling to get off the sofa and you feel disconnected from your body, like I went from being super lean at the start of lockdown to the heaviest I've ever been as an adult. And I was really unfit. Lockdown hit me really hard. And then I had to start moving again. And I didn't feel like my body was mine. I didn't feel as fit as I did. All of these things about like having to get to know yourself again. That is way harder. And the approaches that you take to that, I give options. And if you're listening to this podcast, you'll no doubt be interested in a lot of self-help things. You'll know things that work in other areas of your life. You can pull those in and you can deploy different strategies to help yourself show up. And equally, if you don't even have the energy for those, you probably have other needs that you need to meet. And that is still going to contribute to you moving tomorrow. None of us gain if we try and push through whatever it is we're struggling with. But if we take the time to be kind to ourselves when we're moving, if we get that far, if we're not there yet, let's have a look at something we can do that makes moving tomorrow easier. And if we're not even ready for that, let's just try and make tomorrow easier. And whatever it is we're doing, that's going to change. Because let's face it, ADHD brains and consistency it's not really a thing, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> Don't really do it. Yeah. One of the things that'll help us get moving or just help make tomorrow a better day, whether we move or not, is self-talk. And you go pretty deep into self-talk and play with that a lot. 
Can we go there? I My favorite part is that chapter eight is titled, Your Self-Talk is Biased Too. Yay! Yeah. It totally is. <laughs> How do we apply self-talk to get us to where we want to be, or at least get us closer to where we want to be? I think the first step is actually valuing how powerful self-talk is. So in the book, I share a story about why self-talk became so important to me. And I'll give you the kind of Cliff Notes version just now. But um, when I was a teenager, I did some show jumping and I got on really well with this one horse. You know, we were having a great time. I was doing really well. It's just a local show. It's nothing fancy. But, you know, it was pushing my boundaries. It was something that I was like really getting into. It was really just good times. And um, I still remember like this day because it was like 16 years, 15 years ago now. And it still gets me like a catch in my throat. But um, I went for my usual lesson. And as we left, my mom told me that he had died in an accident during the week. And after that, I just, I was so aware of the fact that horses could get hurt. I mean, I was crushed. I missed three days of school because this horse, he wasn't even mine, but he was such a sweetheart, proper gentle giant, the kind of animal you just feel honored to be around. And he got hurt just doing something normal and he just didn't come home. And it was quick, just like that. I became so aware of the fact that horses could get hurt. that On my way to my riding lessons, I was telling myself these stories about, well, this could happen, that could happen. I was so inside my head. And eventually I was riding another horse who I got on really well with. And we just had a bit of a disagreement. I wanted to go right. He didn't. Fair enough. Normally, not a problem. But because of the stories I've been telling, I folded. I One rein stopped. I got off. And I never actually rode him again because I didn't build my confidence back up before I moved away so that I could go and ride him again. But nothing happened apart from my stories and my self-talk. And all of the words I was putting to things that never happened. I wasn't there when the first horse passed away, but in my mind, I was putting myself there all the time. And nobody else did that. Nothing else had gone wrong. But I was so fixated on what could go wrong that it did. And when nothing happened, everything happened because my mind went there. I mean, I still remember how scared I felt. It was unreal, but... You know, for an outside observer, well, she just got off a horse crying one day and then was really weird for a while. <laughs> Whereas for me, my entire world had turned upside down because the stories I've been telling. Do you remember what the story was? Well, the stories, it was all around someone getting hurt and either me or the horse dying. Uh. And my way of reassuring myself is that, well, it's probably me because they're heavier. So if they land on me, I'm the one that's going. Was it like, I want to go left, the horse wants to go right? Were you like, well, I think left is the way to go and safe and we'll be fine. But the horse wants to go right. So maybe that the horse knows something's not okay about left. And was that the trap or was it something else? Do you know, it wasn't even that complicated. We were in an arena just doing a circle mm -hmm. and he was like, no. And I was like, ah, <laughs> that's like the best description I have. Um, but we were just meant to be doing a circle. But because I didn't feel like I had control, no control meant everything going wrong. Yep. And it's where does it escalate from, from there? And that was the, you know, I've got a very visual mind, which you'll see if you read the book, there's metaphors yep. for days, literal, literal versions for a lot of them, um, particularly in the workbook. Um, I have included literal versions for folk. Um, but I was just, my self-talk just took me to these horrendous places. And then when the possibility that one of them might happen, so far removed, I wasn't really out of control at all. There was no problem. We were safe. But I had told myself we weren't. Mm -hmm. And if your self-talk can take you to that dark place, 
think about the good places your self-talk can take you. I mean, yeah, we've got negativity bias. We're wired for survival in a lot of ways. But our self-talk is so powerful. And if we actually look at the way we talk to ourselves, like most of us aren't very nice to ourselves. If you think about the way that like a few, most of us would never say things to a friend that we say to and about ourselves. The stories we tell about ourselves carry so much weight. They carry so much like influence over our outcomes because those stories, okay, you might not think of yourself as a story taker, but the things you tell yourself in your mind, they feel pretty damn real. Whether or not you think you can tell the story, your words in your mind are incredibly powerful. And I'm not going to say that words alone will fix it because I, like many other ADHD brains, have had CBT and it's focused very much on language and self-talk. And I know there's more to the story, but it's part of it. And it's an important part of that story. We need other tools to manage big emotions. We need other tools to manage fear. We might need other support. But in the day to day, if we're talking to ourselves like crap, we're going to feel like crap too. One of the things I've found, I have certainly done this and I find clients that I have do the same thing. We tell the story of whatever it is that is crappy that's been going on for us or whatever our struggles have been. And our intention is to sort of be like, I'm a survivor. Look how strong I am. I'm navigating all this hard stuff. But we never really make that part of the story. Like the story is all this crappy stuff is happening. Subtextually, we think we're saying, look, it's my strength. But that part never actually gets said. Talking to ourselves when we're talking to a friend or a clinician or a colleague or whatever And that's a piece that really needs to be said. It needs to come out so that we know that's part of the story. 110%. I saw this amazing thing um, the other day. I think it was like Connor DeWolf. It was one of his. And it was like, you're like success dumping or something like that, where it's like just telling people how amazing you are. And I think we need that because, you know, when you hit as many barriers as ADHD brains can and do, when we win, we really need to lean into that and acknowledge it in language to ourselves. We need to build a better, like for most of us, so again, I'm from the UK, we are not necessarily known for singing our praises anyway. Um, Like so many of us need to build a better relationship with ourselves and actually have a more balanced view because most of the folk I know are so quick to know what they haven't done, where they didn't make it, what they didn't do. And you know, our brain is, there's loads more biases that didn't make it into the book, but you know, like we are so biased to the things that are not finished that didn't make it yeah we're very aware of our flaws and we should own our successes too absolutely and we need to work even harder to layer in those positives to help balance that out we don't need to know where we saw pretty flower we do need to know where we nearly got eaten by a bear but there's no bears so let's you know cover our brains in pretty flowers let's think about them all the time because that's going to help us move towards outcomes we want you know a lot of us can use adrenaline and you know beating ourselves up and guilt and accountability can work really well it can also be very damaging because we go so we don't disappoint someone if we're using things that beat us up to make us move it's not that great for us but if we can tell ourselves that you know what I'm trying really hard I'm gonna do this and I did really well because I packed my bag and I did really well because I didn't want to but you know I picked up my keys and I you know looked at the car and I went outside but most of us will think, well, I nearly didn't go. Right. Yeah, but you did. You you did. And yeah, we're really good at beating ourselves up and talking crap about ourselves, but we, we really don't need to. Sticking with the praising yourself. 
what is your favorite part of this book? What part of this book are you the most proud of? Oh, I've never thought about that. Okay, so one of the metaphors that's quite early on, and it's one of the actions, is about your movement river. And it's looking at the context for movement in your life. Now, if everyone thinks of a river, you don't just think of the water. You think of the water, how it's flowing, everything around it, the bedrock, the grasses, trees, shrubs on the side, the sky, the clouds. You get this whole vibrant picture of a river scene, not just a river. And when we think about exercise, so many of us just look at the water. It's like, this is the exercise. And we miss everything around it. We miss the circumstances that shape how we can move. We miss the things that can add colour to our movement, like music, like moving with our friends, like singing and dancing around the kitchen. That is a special treat indeed. <laughs> and we miss what movement can do in our lives. So while a river's surroundings shape the river, the river shapes its surroundings. And movement has to integrate with our lives. Absolutely needs to. And... I'm very biased in this. I worked in river restoration for a while. So I, I've worked on uh, projects with charities looking at improving water quality in rivers. So this metaphor, if you want to go deep with me and you know about some rivers and you know about some exercise, this can go to some strange places. But it just, it's so obvious now that I've, that I've seen it in writing that movement has to fit. And for me, that was a penny drop moment. And it nearly turned into the whole contents of the book. But then I realized I was going to some weird places and people needed to have like a hydromorphology degree to follow me. <laughs> that might be book two. Um, <laughs> so actually seeing how movement integrates in your life changes how we look at movement because it no longer becomes a siloed activity. It becomes part of how we live. And that's where most of us need to go. Most of the people listening to this podcast are probably not going to be competitive athletes, but we all need to move because our bodies need it, our brains need it, our health needs us to be active in some way. And whatever that way is, it needs to fit with the river that we have. And every river is different. And if you have a movement river that looks one way and you find something that works, awesome. You can help, you know, look after the flow of your river. That might be a problem somewhere else. But if someone else finds something completely different that works for their river, awesome. So it doesn't matter what it is you're doing. Actually, if you have a solution that's way off piste, you're kind of doing the whole point of the book and you're doing what works for you and you're thinking outside the box and you're taking novel approaches to movement. So I'm going to add in, this isn't in the book, this is something that um, I was only thinking about yesterday, but survivorship biases. When we think about what works for other people, we see the stuff that works kind of, oh yeah, so if you only need discipline, you're going to be able to show up. We miss all of the other solutions people need to actually move regularly. So we need to be going to these places other people haven't to find the solutions that work. Because discipline's the easy option. If you can do discipline, great. <laughs> you can stop Googling now. But if you need anything else, if you need more support, if you need, you know, I'm trying to think of one of my weirder things. Um, I have to basically put things in my own way. So I almost like trip over my bags. So I remember to take things to the yep. gym. like. I will. I went to the gym the other day and I brought a tiny towel and nothing else to have a shower. And I was like, well, I'm not having a shower here then. Like, <laughs> what are we going to do with this? Um, so I need to put things in my way. And that would drive a lot of people crazy. But for me, that's what I need to make it happen. That's not particularly out there. That wasn't the most exciting option I could have picked. But the more off piece you go, the more you're working with yourself. And 
don't know, I just like writing about some conservation too, because, you know, can't, can't just work in one sector. <laughs> That's awesome. What are you most hoping that people will get out of this book? Honestly, kind of validation that it's hard and it's okay if it's hard. So I cried a lot while I was writing this book because exercise is not just about moving our body. It's about our relationship with ourselves, our self-trust. If we can believe ourselves and we say we're going to do something, it's a hugely important thing. And if someone had told me it was actually okay for it to be this difficult, I probably wouldn't have spent as much time beating myself up. So if you've struggled with exercise, you're not alone. Like I literally co-own a coaching business with an amazing fitness professional. And we have an ongoing joke that if we're gonna do something that doesn't involve mega programming, that's on me. Like I work in this industry and I am still not consistent. This is in my mind every day and I still struggle. I have the best position to make this easy and I still need to put a lot of effort in to make it flow and work for me. And that's okay. And also like evolution wise, exercise is weird. Animals play, they do not make themselves go for jogs at six o'clock in the morning when they do not want to. <laughs> there is no need for doing that, like even in an evolutionary sense. So of course we're not gonna move towards it. So it's okay if it's hard. So if you read the book and you feel better about where you are just now, if you can talk to yourself with kindness and self-compassion and accept that you are doing your best, but you still want to do a little bit more and you have a step to get there, that is the dream. The way we connected was that you sent me an email out of the blue that was like, yeah. I just found out that the wall of awful is trademarked and I want to <laughs> include it in my book. So uh, hi, Brendan. I bring that up because when you say exercise is hard, I don't want anyone listening, making the false assumption that you mean lifting big, heavy weights is difficult or running a mile is difficult. You're really talking about the emotional side of this, which is where we went with the wall of awful. Yeah. And since we haven't touched on the emotional side yet, I wanted to make sure that we do. What have been your takeaways from writing about emotions and exercise? So for me personally, it was actually um, understanding and, it, and being okay with the range of emotions that I'll feel and being able to set more appropriate expectations around how I might feel. Last week, I had a horrible cold and I didn't do any of my workouts. I skipped my classes. So I was like, I don't want to give it anything that's cold. I was awful. <laughs> and I felt guilty. And I was like, actually, it's okay. Like, you've just written this book. You're putting a lot of pressure on yourselves. You feel like you have to show up all the time. Like, you're going to have some uncomfortable feelings, but that's okay. And because it wasn't a problem to have those feelings, those feelings weren't a problem. Exercise is going to make you feel things. It's a challenging place to be. I mean... The number of times that you're in an exercise session with someone and something just bubbles up because you kind of reach the edge of your ability to hold it together because you've just been pushed that little bit too far. Like, I have an ongoing joke that like, I am a crier. Like in the company that I work with, I am the one that will cry, guaranteed. Like nine times out of 10, if someone's crying, got to put my hand up. But I joke that if someone works with me on any sort of physical pursuit for any length of time, they will see me cry. Because if I'm stressed, if I have other stuff going on, that's where those feelings are most likely to bubble out. And it's not because exercise is a problem. It's because I'm an emotional being and that's where my emotions are. Just need some attention. I need to take a moment. I need to do some breaths. I probably need to be nicer to myself outside of exercise. There are going to be moments where exercise feels really good. There's going to be ex moments where it feels fine. And there's going to be moments where it absolutely freaking sucks. And that's all okay. 
And if we fight and run away from those feelings, we're going to have a worse time. Whereas if we can just see it as actually this is just a variety and be a little bit curious about it and then work with our emotions and understand them and meet our own needs in the exercise world. I mean, so many of us have had crappy high school PE experiences with gym teachers that just yell at you and you're like, oh, that's not going to work, my friend, because <laughs> I cry when people yell at me too. But with, with that, we need to almost heal that and be okay with taking the time to do the emotional work too. So emotions are okay. They're going to vary. It's a valuable use of your time to sit with them, to work with them, to understand them. And just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? If you see people who say there's only one way to move, just ignore them. Because <laughs> there's so many ways to move. There's so many ways to move your body. However you go, if it works for you, that is perfect. There's so many ways to move. There's so many ways to structure a workout routine. If it takes you 18 months to get to the point where you go and actually do a workout, but that 18 months you spend you know, feeling good about where you are, making progress, doing the emotional work, setting systems up to support you, working on your childcare situations, working on that health condition, like rehabbing from certain, whatever it is you're doing. If it's working for you, perfect. If it isn't working for you, ask for support. Ask for support from someone who gets you, preferably someone who gets ADHD. I mean, I'm sure we've all been there where someone suggests something and you're like, yeah, no, I will break that system on day two. <laughs> so find someone who's going to help you think outside the box. There is no one right way. I give suggestions here. There's very few things that I'm like, this is an absolute. Change is probably the only thing I'm like, change is going to happen. I will promise you that. But everything else, you get to choose your own adventure. Your body doesn't know what ex good exercise looks like. It just responds to the movement you give it. Give it any movement you want. Just don't, you know, jump off buildings and things like that, like, you know, within reason. <laughs> but do what works for you and don't apologize for that. Don't feel like you have to take up a different amount of space. Don't feel like you need to hit this number of workouts. You don't need to do anything. You get to choose how movement fits the river that is your life. And it's different for everyone else's and you are the expert in it. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com. And visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.